You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Good morning. Welcome to Sun Grove Church. Take out your outline. We're going to jump right into a brand new series called Be Intentional. And as we do that, what I, what I want to do is I need your help with this quote. Will you help me with this quote? Maybe you heard it from your parents or you heard it in social media or you heard it uh, when you were working out or from a coach. But this is the quote and I need your help with me. So nothing good ever happens by accident. Yes, good job. You guys had it right here. So nothing good ever happens by accident. That we have to put in work. We have to be intentional. If you're going to work out, you're not going to get good results if you just have the intention of it. You have to actually be intentional to get there to work out. And it's not going to happen by accident. You're not going to just instantly change. And I believe as we look through this series, we're going to look at a lot of different lifespan development and we're going to see that God is not done with you yet. That he has good work for you to do and great days ahead, but we want to participate with what God is already doing in us. And today we're going to look at the topic of parenting, but some of you in the room, you're like, I'm not a parent. Like I see some high schoolers in here and other people, and you're going, parenting seems far off for me. And so what we're going to do is we're going to transfer all those principles that I be addressing our parents today. You're going to say, how do I self-govern? In other words, how am I leading myself? How am I being intentional with myself? How am I governing my life? And you might be beyond the years of parenting. You might say, hey, I did my parenting, or maybe I've been single uh, my whole life. And and you're going to, again, ask the question, how am I self-leading? Because we realize in the issue of parenting discipline is the foundation for leading yourself. The reason why you and I want to discipline our kids, want to correct our kids, is so that they don't incur the consequences that would lead to it being hurtful in life for them. We want to set them up for success. And success is that we train ourselves, we train our children to self-govern. And so if you don't have kids, if you haven't had kids, if you only have grandkids, you're going to ask the question today, how am I self-governing? So with your outline out, we're going to look at a couple of things. And I just got to tell you straight off the top, when we talk about parenting, a lot of us parents, we just instantly think of our mistakes. We think of what we would have done different or what we did poorly or our worst moment as a parent, right? The good news for you and for me is that when I look at the Bible, I don't see any perfect parents. Isn't that good news? There are no perfect parents in the Bible. And in fact, what I see in the Bible are a lot of really bad parents. And that gives me hope when I think back over my parenting history. And maybe that would give you some hope, right, as well. And what I realize as I talk to different parents is this. That regardless of the baggage that you carry into a relationship and into having kids, no matter what you feel you do or don't have, most parents have the capacity and the desire to improve. And so today I want at least to offer some things that you might find to be helpful. So let's define a working definition of discipline. Discipline is correction driven by love. It's correction, not because we're the powerful parents and say you got to do it because I say so, but it's driven by our heart to actually love our children. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 and 6 says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline 
and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves. So for you and I in this room, we need to be open to God's discipline in our life, God's rebuke in our life because he loves us. He's training us. He's helping us to avoid patterns and behaviors that lead to future pain. In Proverbs 19, verse 18, the scriptures tell us to discipline your children, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death, right? Discipline your children. It was saying, what do you mean be a willing party in their death? It's saying if you haven't trained your kids, if you haven't disciplined them, they may go down certain paths. They may not have self-restraint in certain areas. And he's just saying, listen, just, it might not be an physical death, it might be death of their heart. It might be that they wander in a way that they don't want to go, that you don't want to go. Parents, I want you to understand today that there is a major battle going on in your home for the life of your kids. There's a major battle going on, and it is a battle in your households that we must win, and we must win decisively. We cannot be on the sidelines on this one. We've got to actually win it. If you find yourself constantly nagging and yelling and bribing and threatening your kids, you are losing this battle. And it, the tide must turn, and it must turn now. But some of you will say, well, listen, I, I'm just doing things different because I don't want to hurt my kids. I don't want to be like mean to my kids. I don't want to discipline my kids. And I think when we say those kind of statements, we misunderstand what discipline is all about. Discipline isn't something you do to your child. It's something you do for your child. It's not something you do to your child. It's something you do for your child. It's in the same way. Uh, exercise isn't something you do to yourself. It's something you do for yourself, right? Now, it might feel like you're doing it to yourself. I did this to myself, right? Because you're sore after working out. But the truth is, it's something you're doing for yourself. Discipline works the very same way. Discipline, and let me make this distinction, is correction. It's not punishment. So discipline intends to correct behavior. Punishment has this weird idea. Like if we punish, then we equal the pain of what we've caused and somehow we, it assumes that it all just evens out. Punishment is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about uh, correction. Correction is not payback. It's not done in anger or frustration. Um, correction trains a child to live life well and to avoid the harmful patterns and consequences that would ultimately hurt our kids. In fact, leadership guru Zig Ziglar said it this way, a child who has not been disciplined with love in his little world will be disciplined without love by the great big world. And some of us have experienced exactly that. So let's talk for a little while about what I call undisciplined parents. And chances are, if we're going to be honest with each other here today, you might see yourself in some of these examples. You might say, I'm undisciplined in some of these ways as a parent. Some of you who are younger, you might say, I'm undisciplined in self-governing, in leading myself in some of these ways. And so we're going to ask for some polls of honesty here today. So I'm going to just ask, will you guys be honest with me today? All right, we're going to be honest together. The first, what I call undisciplined category of parents is what we call lifeguard parents. They often rescue a child from consequences. Now, you might be a lifeguard parent if in the last semester you have brought Johnny, little Johnny, right, his homework three times, let's say, in the last semester because he forgot it. Now, if little Johnny is in college, 
You would be the worst kind of lifeguard parent, right? Just swooping in to like rescue him, not allowing your child to face the consequences. But God set up a world with natural consequences. God set up a world with it. In fact, you're trying to insulate your child from the natural consequences in the world. I've talked to parents before who just say, Pastor, I'm just, I'm exhausted. Because after working all day long, I come home and I do my kids' homework for them. Listen, you're a lifeguard parent if you are doing your kids' homework for them. If they haven't done it, then the con- there's natural consequences. You're trying to sweep in and do it for them. For example, if they spend their money, lunch money, on music, you don't give them more money, Right? That there are just natural consequences that are built into our world. In fact, these natural consequences are highlighted in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. God says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And he goes on to talk about if you sow from your flesh, you're going to reap from the flesh. And sometimes when we're lifeguard parents, we're trying to appease the flesh of our kids. We're trying to say, I want things to feel good for you all the time. I want to, it, your flesh to be comfortable, your flesh never to experience a consequence. But the scriptures say if we sow from the Spirit and we invest, we plant, we produce, we correct, we train from the Spirit, we're going to get results that are of God's Spirit. And that's what we're called to do. So if your child, your son or daughter gets a speeding ticket, who pays? They pay, right, absolutely, they need to pay. If they get arrested and they use their one, Lord forbid, but if they get arrested, they use their one phone call to call you. You as a parent, you pick up a phone that afternoon and you have a moment to decide, do I go rescue my child right now or do they get some quiet time overnight and we get to talk about it in the morning, right? There's a difference in what you can do. Now, Lifeguard parents sweep in and try to rescue their kid from consequences. So how many of you in this room would say, that's me. I try to rescue myself or my kid from consequences. Be honest. Come on, let's be honest in this room. Awesome. All right. Some of us are lifeguard parents. Let's deal with another type of parent, uh, undisciplined parent. And this is what I call the farsighted empire. Uh, Umpire parents. Farsighted, I'm getting those words mixed up. The empire. Farsighted umpire parents, right? This is the, the, the ref. He can only see things far away. When it happens right in front of him, he gets it wrong every time. We're like, you know, the blind ref with the stick out there, and we're like, we, that's what we would yell at from the stands. But sometimes as parents, we're a farsighted type of umpire parent. This parent is often inconsistent, right? Maybe in your house or my house, one day the strike zone is this big, And the next day, it's this big. There's just no margin for error. There's no grace in your life at all. It's just this big or it's this big, and it flip-flops. And one day, you discipline. And the next day, you're like, I'm just too tired. I just just don't want to discipline. And so one day, you're all over them like the drill sergeant. The next day, you're not. Well, inconsistency breeds, listen to me, insecurity. Inconsistency breeds insecurity, right? I mean, you and I experience that. It works that way all the time. If you work for a boss and they're inconsistent, you feel like you're walking on eggshells all the time. Are they going to be happy with me? Are they going to be mad with me today? Are they asking me to toe the line? Do I have freedom to kind of think for myself? Right? You're going to feel that if you work for a boss that way. And so inconsistency breeds insecurity, whether it's your boss or your parent or your digestive tract, right? You want consistency when it comes to this, right? When it's inconsistent, you know it. You don't like it. You want to know if I eat this food, it's all going to be okay, 
in the end, right? That's what you want to know. Proverbs 29 verse 15 says this, a rod and a reprimand impart wisdom, but a child left undisciplined disgraces its mother. And then in verse 17, Proverbs says, discipline your children and they will give you peace and they will bring you the delights you desire. Don't you want peace in your life? Don't you want to see and delight in, the, in your kids uh, in a way in those years where you are training them? Well, notice that the scripture doesn't say, hey, discipline them today and then not tomorrow. It doesn't say discipline them when you feel like it and when you don't. Have the line here one day and just shake it up and let them do whatever they want tomorrow. A lot of our kids really want to know, where's the line? I just need to know where the boundaries are. I need to know where the line is. And can it please just be consistent? Why are the lines always moving? Well, it's easy to be inconsistent, isn't it? It's easy to get tired sometimes. And, you know, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I can be the drill sergeant dad. All right, boys, we've got to do this, 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 this. We've got to get these things done. And, and I'm just on them. And, okay, are you ready to go? Are you ready? And we're all, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm probably all tasks with them on some days. And then the next day, I'm like the cruise ship director. Hey! What should we do today? Let's just have fun. And, and it can be inconsistent. And it, if we're honest, it can be very, very dangerous. And if we're being honest with each other, we realize inconsistency can breed insecurity and it can be very dangerous. So how many of you would say, I can be very, very inconsistent just out of honesty? Awesome. Thank you for your honesty. And maybe as you're looking at your own life, you're saying, I can be inconsistent. That one day I'm hardline, like, I would never do that. The next day you're like, grace, I just do whatever I want. You do as I please. And as you're leading yourself, you're watching an inconsistency in your life. Inconsistent. See, breeds insecurity. So let's deal with another type. And this is what I call the split decision parents. These are, you know, in the boxing match when the guy's counting the boxes and all, uh, boxing, uh, they just can't agree. It's a split decision. Well, the judges just can't get it together. They just can't agree. They all think differently. And, and sometimes as parents, you and I become split decision parents that we're often ununified. What does that mean? It means you disagree. Amos chapter 3 verse 3 says this principle. He says, do two walk together unless they've agreed to do so? That at some point, if you're going to walk with somebody else, you typically agree to do so and you walk together. But all too often with parents, we're not trained in how do we get your background and my background? How do we get the two of us on the same page? We come with totally different background. We come with totally different experiences. We come with totally different tools in our toolbox or lack of them. And how do we agree to get on the same page in raising our son or our daughter? One of the most important things that we can do as a parent is to keep a unified stance in front of your children. But let's talk for a minute just about the real world, right? Because there's divorce in the real world. And in divorce, you know, you, your marriage didn't work out. You walk through it. You split up. Some of you in this room, you can't even stand your ex. And what happens is the kids begin to play one parent off another. You already maybe don't agree, but when the child wants what it wants, it's going to say, well, mom would do it this way. Well, dad would do it this way. And you begin to have this conflict. And it's very, very important, even if you can't stand your ex, to have a unified front for the sake of your children, to give security to them. Well, let's talk about blended families where 
Two families, they get married together. They bring multiple kids into the family together. They're a, a blended family. And again, it gets really complicated, doesn't it? Because every now and then we feel this desire to say, well, well these are my kids, but that's your kid. And you say, those are your kids, these are mine, right? And you kind of go back and forth and you want to have this thing where like, ah, oh, we're maybe ununified in how we're parenting. And I want to say, this is how I'm going to discipline mine. Do you discipline yours however you want. But that's not great. That's not unified for him. And let me just say, as a, as a pastor, as somebody who believes in the covenant of marriage, when you stand before God and you give vows that in better or worse, sickness and health, richer or poor, that you are going to love each other till the day you die, that what happens in that situation is God takes the two and makes them one. You become one flesh. And when the two become one flesh, there's no longer any yours and mine. There's just ours. You're one flesh. This isn't your daughter, your son. This is our children. And that's the way God designed it. And what I would just say is that in those situations, we need, because we will disagree with each other, won't we? We need to have a unified front in front of our children. There are times that you will need to go behind a closed doors and disagree and get on the same page for the sake of your children for the sake of their security and the sake of their, their training. Listen, uh, we haven't done this perfectly. There were moments that I kind of hung Heather out on a limb. She was, you know, working with the kids. I didn't back her up. I didn't support her. And then she would come to me later like, why didn't you support me? I'd be like, um, I was doing something, right? Like, you're just like, I don't know. And the reality is I needed to support her. And there are other times that behind closed doors, I would go to her and say, you need to support me in front of the children and not undermine my authority. And then we would have that, that discussion. Why? Because to the kids, we want to have a unified stance no matter what. How many of you in this room would just say, yeah, I'm guilty of that. We're, we're divided or I'm divided. Just different ways. We just have different backgrounds. Awesome. Thank you for your honesty. Because again, all of us in this room, we're, we're different parents. We've got uh, parental examples in the Bible, but we want ones that are going to help us and find things in, in the scriptures that are helpful to us. I want to switch gears though. I don't want to just talk about who's a good parent, who's a bad parent. Because again, when I look at the Bible, there are no perfect parents. There's really bad parents. And it helps us say, no matter what we walk into, God is, is, I believe, is put in our hearts that no matter our baggage, no matter our background, no matter the water under the bridge, we have the desire to get better. So how do we do it? Let's talk about some biblical parental expectations. And a number of years ago, uh, a friend of mine, just out of the blue, we, like we were hanging out, our kids were playing, like their kids and our kids were playing. And all of a sudden my friend turns to me, he's like, how did you do that? Said, do what? He said, well, you said to your kids, you said, come here, and they actually came. He's like, how'd you do that? <laughs> like, how did you actually get that to happen? He was like, it was a miracle, an epiphany. Like, how did that actually happen? And, and, and what I want to do is just say that one of the things Heather and I decided to do early that's taught so often in Scripture is that we expect first time and cheerful obedience, First-time obedience and cheerful obedience, right? Because you could obey the first time, but you could be really mad about it on the inside. You might obey God, right? Well, God, I'm going to obey you, but man, your heart's just ugly on the inside, right? 
But God, I'm going to obey you. I'll, I'll do it first time, but man, I'm not happy about it. Well, God encourages people all the time in Scripture. It's first time, and it's cheerful obedience. Colossians 3.20 says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Note the Scripture doesn't say, Children, obey your mom or your dad after they say, Cut that out. Stop that. Don't make me come over there. I mean it this time. I mean it. I mean, do not give me that look. Do not make me come over there. You know I will. One, two, three, right? On, 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 Listen, threatening and repeating means you've already lost the battle. If you find yourself negotiating, bribing, threatening, repeating, you're actually moving from the position of empowering the child instead of you being the one in the position of authority. Let me give you a helpful suggestion. I want you to listen to yourself this week. And if you end, maybe you're in the workplace, maybe you're you know, parenting, and if you end your statement with the word okay, you've lost the battle, right? Because what, what does God do? Does God go, don't steal, okay? <laughs> well, maybe I want to steal. Maybe I, maybe I want to steal. Maybe I don't feel like, okay, God, if you're asking okay to me, maybe it's not okay. Maybe I want to. Don't murder, okay? That's not what God does, right? That would be a transfer of power. But all the time his parents were doing that. Well, wear this dress, okay? No, I got a lot of dresses in my closet, little girl is saying, and she's going, I'm going to wear whatever I want. And pretty soon nothing matches, and you're like, okay, whatever. And you just cave in, right? So all the time we want to treat first time in cheerful obedience. You don't want to give the okay because it's a transfer of authority. God doesn't do that and neither should we. So what should we do? Well, we as parents, we should expect first time obedience just as God expects it from us. We expect it from our children. And not only that, do we expect the outward obedience, but we expect inward obedience. The condition of the heart that the child would obey just based on the attitude of their heart. And if you're a, a young person, uh, if actually you're anybody in this room, we talk about obedience. There is a little willful, no, I want to do as I please in our heart. There is a defiant little person inside each of us. It's called the flesh. It's called an act of the will. And, and God all the time is saying we're going to subject that under his lordship, under his correction, because it's for our good. So we want to discipline children for their attitude more than actions. Certain actions are childish, right? All the time you might be childish, like they just didn't know. Like when they're little, little kids, they do things that are just what a child would do and they just didn't know, right? So you come up and you're like, okay, don't eat the dog food. That's the dog's food. We're going to respect the dog's bowl and its food dish, and we're going to respect its water. That's for the dog. We don't, we don't drink that. And it doesn't say you're not loving the dog more than the child. You're just training the child that there is a difference between dog food and people food, right? So we're not going to eat the dog. They just wouldn't know better. They, they didn't learn, and we come along, we train, and so that would be an example of something that's childish, but there's a, another side of things, and that's what is foolish. Foolish is... I'm going to do things that hurt me. I'm going to do things that are bound up in the will of defiance because I want to do them. And I want to do them because they're, they're just not wise to do. It's not that they didn't know. It's that they want to act, in a sense, uh, foolish. Philippians chapter 2, 
Verses 14 and 15 says this, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. And it goes on from there. Okay, do everything without grumbling or complaining. Parents, how nice would it be if your kids would be trained to do everything without grumbling or complaining? Children in the room, how nice would it be if your parents would do everything without grumbling or complaining, right? And I've got friends who, they'll complain about their children's complaining. So their kids complain, they finally get tired of it. They're like, I'm so tired of your complaining. And now I'm complaining about your complaining. And I don't know where you would learn that complaining. (laughs) Uh, Maybe it got learned at home, right? Instead of disciplining, instead of instructing, instead of correcting your training, you're complaining about their complaining. Ever caught yourself there? We want to discipline more for attitude than actions. And then we always want to address defiance. What is defiance? Defiance says, I know better, but I'm going to do it anyway. Right? So even when they're little and you're like, do not touch the TV. And they turn and they look at you and they grin and they step closer and closer and they reach out and touch the TV. That's defiance. It actually needs correcting. That, that defiance needs correcting. We always want to address defiance. It's not just the angry teenager lashing out at their parents that we think, well, that's defiance. No, it, it actually starts young. And let me tell you, sometimes defiance when they're little is cute. But it doesn't matter if it's cute or not. It's that inward side. It's that rebellious side on the inside that says, I'm going to see if I can get away with doing as I please. Let me tell you, when that trickles up into adulthood, does that lead to help or harm? We want to correct. We want to train defiance. So let's talk specifically and practically about discipline. How do we do it? Number two, we agree to never discipline in anger, not under any circumstances. And let me just say, there's way too much of this going on in the world today, isn't there? People lashing out, disciplining in anger, people getting too upset with their kids and just lashing out at them. And let me just say, timeouts are for parents, not the kids. Biblically, timeouts are actually for parents because we need it. You get in this power struggle with this little person. And you're like, how did I get so wound up over this little, like, they're not even three feet yet, but they just are defiant and digging in their heels. And you're like, I'm an adult, I'm in a power struggle with a toddler. How did that happen, right? Well, in that moment, we got to realize that that's when we as parents need a timeout. The Bible teaches that something else is for correcting kids because the Bible tells us in Ephesians 4.26, in your anger, do not sin. So it doesn't mean, parents, that we're not ever going to get angry. Oh, we are. I remember one time I got so frustrated with one of the boys and and I literally was like, you know what? I need a timeout. And so I'm going to go away. (laughs) I'm going to try and get a hold of Dave, like cool down, right? And then we're going to come back and we'll address this. But in that moment, I knew, I knew I'm, I'm too wound up. I'm too much in a power struggle. I'm, I'm angry. I'm the one who needs the timeout. And we come back and we address it. Well, the Bible brings up something that is very different for disciplining our kids and correcting them. 
it brings up what is admittedly a very controversial subject when it comes to discipline. I'm just going to lay it out there. I can hear the shock and awe already happening. Uh, I can feel that it's coming. At our house, we spanked. And I tell you that knowing right up front that that is a very politically incorrect stance. But let me tell you, until the day I die, I will stand by it that it is a very correct biblical stance in parenting your kids. And it is one of the many ways to correct and train and discipline our children. It's not the only way. It's one of many ways. And now I hope you know, as you begin to hear this, that I would never use my hand. We had a little tool we got off the internet. It was about this long. It's kind of like a like seatbelt type material, but thicker. And it just would be enough to give them a whack and leave a sting. And that's what we'd use. And when the kids were little, like it would go in the diaper bag. And we'd go on vacation. It traveled with us. And, you know, it would just go. And, they, and I'm sure sometimes the kids are like, oh, they see the diaper bag or whatever, right? And that, oh, I don't want that. I don't want that thing, you know, that's in there. And it was about so long, and it had flexibility, and uh, we called it the correction instrument. We actually didn't call, we never called spanking, spanking in our house. Because sometimes, you know, doctors will be like, well, you're, to the kids, do your parents spank you? My kids would be like, I don't know, we get corrected. <laughs> I don't know what spanking is, but... We get corrected, the correction instrument, right? That's what happens. I mean, you gotta be smart these days, right? It's a very effective little tool that we would use. And when the kids were young, again, like it went on vacation with us, and if we took it on vacation now, they would just laugh at us, right? They would just, they would just mock us. But when our children disobeyed, we took them, our pattern was we would take them into our closet at our house, kind of a walk-in closet. And it would be one-on-one, -on -one, so there wasn't any humiliation or embarrassment of the other kids mocking and laughing and, and experiencing what's going on. And we would decide on a correction. Sometimes it would be a loss of privilege. Sometimes it would be an added responsibility where you got to do more because of what you've done. And other times it would be a correction. It would be a spanking and occasionally it was, and when it was, then we would, we would spank them if that was the case. And always it was the same number of times. They never had to wonder, hey, am I going to get a, like three swats or five swats or ten swats, like depending on my parents' emotions? It was always the same number of times so that there was a security, a consistency to it. And then afterwards we would hug them and talk with them. We love them. And let me tell you, it is very, very effective. It's not politically correct but it's absolutely biblically correct. Now, those of you who are in the room and you're angry right now, maybe because of your past or because of your experience, you know, you're angry right now and you're like, oh my gosh, my pastor, he like abused his children. <laughs> you know, part of your argument is this. If I spank my kids, spanking kids is obviously gonna lead to angry kids, to rebellious kids, to, you know, abused kids. That, that's the argument. Like they're gonna not be effective members in society. But let me tell you, I'm in my 40s. And when I was younger, like if you got out of line, even in school, we got spanked. I mean, I don't know if you remember, but like you would go and it would be like the coach or the principal and they would pull out this big paddle and they would give it to you. And it, they were like allowed to do that. And, and sometimes you deserved it. In fact, a number of years ago, uh, I worked in a church where um, I oversaw as one of my employees, my former high school principal. Okay. So, of course, he's much older than me, but I remember him giving me a spanking, and I deserved it. Because a fourth grader, I was a kindergartner, a fourth grader was like poking me in the chest and pointing his finger at me, and I just grabbed his hand, I bit his finger, made it bleed. <laughs> he deserved it. 
but then I need to be corrected because that's not appropriate behavior right now, is it? If one of you did that to me and I did that to you, that just wouldn't be good, right? So it needed to be corrected. So I went in there and did that, but it was just fun all these years later to be like, I remember when you like pull out the drawer and pull out the paddle and like, oh, I know what's coming, right? We need that, but here's, here's like the argument. The argument is that if we don't discipline, then we'll have better kids. And I just want to say that I'm in my 40s, so that means people in sometimes their 30s, even their 20s, in those generations, they weren't corrected. It was outlawed in schools. They, they weren't allowed to be given a swat. And, and the argument would be this, that because they weren't swatted, those generations should absolutely, in your line of reasoning, should absolutely be the most well-respected, well-mannered, polite, non-triggered generation that's ever lived. Need I say more? <laughs> Sometimes when culture gets away from God's principle, culture reaps what it sows. And if you, as a young person, maybe you're in your teens or your 20s, your 30s, or maybe you're just uh, in some of those other generations like us, the point is, how are you self-governing? Are you responding to the Lord's correction in your life? Are you responding or do you accuse God for some of the natural consequences you've brought on yourself? Do you accuse God for not rescuing you from all the consequences? Do you accuse God for the trials and tribulations that so often are self-inflicted in our lives? So what do we do? We expect first time in cheerful obedience. And let me just say it, all right? In our house, we spanked. And if God leads you to do that, if God helps you do that, if God opens your eyes at the scriptures and you say, that's going to be one of the many things that we could do in terms of helping our, our son or our daughter understand that sin has a sting associated to it. If God does it, here's what I want to tell you. Never, ever, ever do so in anger. Okay? If you raise your hand and you strike your child, you need to repent before God. You need to repent before your child. You need to have a problem. You need to get work on that. You should never, ever use your own hand. You should never do that. You should never respond to them in anger. You need to repent. And if you do not, one day, let me tell you, Scripture is clear that you'll answer to God. And you'll wish you would never, ever harmed one of his little ones. So never, ever discipline in anger. Do you understand? Timeouts are for parents. All right, let me move on. Number three, we will discipline promptly with instruction and reconciliation. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. And there's two parts of that, training and instruction. So it's not just correcting. If all we ever do is correct, 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 and we never instruct, what's going to be repeated? The very thing that needed correction. So I did wrong, I got punished. I did wrong, I got, I got corrected. I did wrong, but if I'm never instructed, I don't ever grow. And so God's smart, so smart to tell us fathers, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. And I'm going to give you three critical things that I believe every parent needs to do when they discipline their child. Okay, this may be new information for a lot of you, and it's not in your outline, so write this down. And if you, and as you write it down, you may want to put it wherever you do correction. So for us, it would have been in our closet, right? And there's three things that we just learned as our pattern that we would always do. And the first one is this. We would ask after the correction, after the swat, we would ask, what were you corrected for? And you know what that is? That's confession. I 
hit mommy or I hit my sister, right? It's, the, it's having the child say what they were corrected for, okay? The second one is this. For you, what would be a better way to handle it next time? You know what that is? That's instruction. You're asking a question, but they're beginning to think. They're beginning to think, you know, next time, instead of hitting my sister, maybe I should come to you, mom and dad, or mom or dad first, right? There's an instruction that's happening. They're they're owning action for the next time. Instruction is so critical. And then the third part, and I think one of the most important is this, that you verbally say, I forgive you, and you are forgiven. And that's when we would hug our kids. And sure, sometimes they, there would be that moment where they're like rigid. You know, <laughs> I just got corrected. Other times they just, whew. but that's what happens. Why? I forgive you and you are forgiven. That's reconciliation. The point of correction is to reconcile relationship. And sometimes when you think of that, you think of like a parent or a teacher making you like say sorry and shake hands with some kid you got in a fight with and you don't want to shake their hand and you just want to punch their face again. It just got interrupted by the teacher on the playground, right? And you're like, I don't want to do that. And you're like, that's not real reconciliation. Well, let me tell you, this is real reconciliation. I forgive you, a parent is saying, and you're forgiven. Guess what? The kid is not like, are they going to hold this over my head forever? Is this still ongoing or is it done? Later on, if my mom gives me a look, does that mean because of this or does it mean, right? You've just given security and restored relationship with your child. Those three things I would highly suggest that you do. And let me tell you what that does. When you do that, amazing things happen I mean, I, I just, it baffled me when our kids were young and, and they would go through the thing and they would do something wrong, very defiant. We would go in, it required a correction. We'd give them a correction. And then I'll tell you, like a second later, they're like the happiest kid. It was like total backwards. Like what in the world was that? Like what happened was security. What happened was you trained me, you instructed me and we're all good. I'm forgiven that my parents have forgiven me and I, where it's my status, my status is forgiven. And what does that do? Let me tell you. That plants within our child the understanding of what the cross of Jesus Christ is all about. See, discipline in the Bible is confusing for some. You look at the Old Testament God and you say, he was so angry and he would like, you know, send plagues and he would kill people and they'd, you know, they'd get rid of all sorts of people and all these bad things would happen. And it was like, God was just angry God in the Old Testament. And then you get to the New Testament and you're reading and it's all about God is love and he just loves me and he wants to forgive me. And you're like, is it like bipolar God? What's happening here? What, what happened there? And the picture is Jesus on the cross. That in the Old Testament, the sacrificial blood of animals who had to be killed for the sins of people wasn't really cutting the deal. It was a temporary forecasting of what needed to happen. And that was when God himself, in the form of Christ, came to earth and he said, I will take your sin upon myself on the cross. And I will pay for it in full. And so what happens is this picture where God's righteous wrath is poured out against on sin. And it's a good wrath. It's a righteous wrath. It's a just wrath. That wrath against sin, he's so angry about what sin does and the consequences it brings. All that wrath is poured out on Jesus and not on you. It was against you. But because of Christ, when you and I put our faith and trust in what Christ did on the cross, in that moment, it's called the propitiation. 
That's a big spiritual word that means this. It means the turning aside of God's wrath away from you and onto Christ. And now guess what happens? When he looks at you, he says, I forgive you and you're forgiven. Because when he looks at you, he sees that it has been satisfied. It has been corrected. It's done. What's your status? You're forgiven. And some of you in this room, you're looking at God like an Old Testament God who's still angry with wrath against your sin and that he's going to come and get you because you did something bad and you're afraid to look God in the eye and, and you're, you're acting like someone who's not forgiven. You're acting like your status is unforgiven when in fact you're forgiven. And you're carrying guilt and you're carrying shame. And God is saying, if you put your faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross, then that wrath has been satisfied. Children start to understand, maybe intuitively at first, and then even at a deeper level later on, that our sin must be punished. And that Jesus took the punishment for our sin. Once we believe that, God declares that we're forgiven because justice has been satisfied. Isn't that good news? That's why we call the gospel good news. is because it's great news that all of our deeds, all of our wrongs, all of our sin has been covered by the blood of Jesus. That there's no forgiveness aside from his blood. And being God, he was buried in the grave. After three days, he rose to new life. He ascended to God the Father. He intercedes. He prays for us. He is a physical example, even in heaven, before in the Trinity, God and then Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit together. And he's a representation that you and I have been washed clean. It's good news. And the reason God calls parents to discipline is because it's the foundation of later self-governing under God's authority. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just not thinking about anybody else, just your own life. For just a moment, I want you to think, have you given your life to Christ? Have you received God's offer of forgiveness for your sin? And maybe if you're there today and you're saying, I just never really understood it. And today, just like... I've been feeling God drawing me and the light bulb went on and I, I want to ask for God to forgive me. I want that status that you are forgiven. Then you do it simply by offering your life to God. You're just offering yourself saying, God, I've got to give you me. My soul is yours. God, I give you me. And if that's you today, right where you're seated, you pray a prayer after me like this. Jesus, today I give you me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin that you took the Father's wrath that was directed at what I've done wrong, that you were buried in the grave and you rose to new life. I ask you to come into my heart and make me a new creation. Wash me as white as snow because today, Jesus, I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.